Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This word in your ear, Mark is brought to you thanks to NordVPN. And I don't have to tell you what NordVPN stands for. I'm now something of an expert on this subject. The answer is virtual private network. Say it again. It's virtual private network. And what is that, Mark? It's a way to keep your data safe on the internet whenever you're logging in, either at home or abroad. It protects your identity and encrypts your data so that nobody can steal your identity, Mark. And I know there are many people lying in wait to steal your identity. Wanting Mark Ellen's identity. Wanting to be a slightly slightly befuddled elderly gentleman. (laughs) Wandering around Chiswick talking about their Graborton band. (laughs) Many people. Huge great coat. Many people envy that state. Anyway, at the same time, it enables you to access the internet via servers in more than 50, how many, Mark? That's 50. 50 different countries. And that means you can often sidestep region restrictions, region restrictions, and stream movies and TV programs from all around the world. I've been watching all kinds of things this week. I watched Bette Davis in Now Voyager which is what they used to call in the 1940s a women's picture. Do you know what? I like women's pictures. Absolutely. Generally speaking, I don't like men's pictures at all, actually. Anything that uh, anything that's going to be full of violence, I don't kind of tend to go for at all. Well, women's pictures, you know, you know the famous Bette Davis line from, um, oh, God, what's the film? Is it Mildred Pierce? I can't remember. Where she says... If you can't think of anything nice to say about anybody, come sit come by sit me. Come sit by me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's my kind of film. My kind of film. Uh, I've also been watching the last week. Have you seen Knives Out? Knives no. Out, the kind of whodunit starring, well, everybody, Daniel Craig and Jamie Lee Curtis and Don Johnson, all kinds of people. It, it's kind of... It's a, it's a reinvented whodunit, I suppose, yeah. down with fabulous production values, very you know, very edgy and so forth. And uh, it's very good. It's very well done. 
But I tell you what, my great strength when it comes to who done it is, and I don't know this is something that's only happened to me with age, is I can watch who done it's no end of times because I never remember who did it. You know what I mean? I have very little interest in who did it at all. You know. You mean you I, haven't been following the clues, or you could watch one you've already seen and you can't remember? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just enjoy the journey. That's yeah, what I enjoy yeah, about yeah. who done it. You know. I'm not bothered about the puzzle side of it, really, or how did who came into the library before so and so. You know, I'm not that bothered. I just want to be taken by the hand into some environment that I sort of wish I was in. And anyway, it's very. So good you're always that. very grateful for that end scene when they always yeah. say, "And then at eleven o'clock, you climbed up a ladder and through the library window, and you opened a decanter of what you thought was sherry." It's that, isn't it? You know, absolutely. It's all been spelt out to me. Absolutely. I like all that. Anyway, you can take advantage of a deal where you can try NordVPN by going to nordvpn.com slash your ear or just use the code your ear to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan and one additional month for free and a bonus gift. It's risk-free because there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. Full details as ever in the show notes below. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. So I was listening to uh, an album by Jonathan Coe the other day. Jonathan Coe, the novelist and former Word Neurotic guest, and he's made a few albums. This one's called Unnecessary Music. Lovely, you know, atmospheric uh, instrumental records. And it struck me, there's a stack body in this, Dave. Sure. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, writers or actors have made albums. Oh. Right? Yeah. So here are five. Actually, they're all actors. Five actors have all made records. And I'm giving you a sample review and uh, a sample uh, of, their, of their track titles. But you're saying one of but them. But one of them is, is a crisp invention. work of fiction. And you've got to spot the ringer. So which? So, okay, David Lynch. Did David Lynch... He's number one. Make an album in 2011 called Crazy Clown Time. Sample tracks, including Strange and Unproductive Thinking, The Night Bell with Lightning, and a sample review, Lynch fans will be pleased to learn that darkness and weirdness prevail. All right? That's the first. Mm -hmm. Second, Tim Robbins. Did he make a record called Tim Robbins and the Rogues Gallery Band in 2010? Tracks including Toledo Girl and Crush on You. And one of the reviewers said, the most glaring problem is the most fundamental, which is that Robbins can't sing. I <laughs> know, <laughs> it's damning. Mm. All right. Robert Downey Jr., did he make a record called The Futurist in 2004? Tracks like Little Clowns, with a Z, described by one critic as being somewhere between the melancholy twang of Bruce Hornsby and Bruce Springsteen doing a cabaret night. All right, that's the third. Mm. Fourth is Tilda Swinton. Made a, a vaguely folk album, 1982, called The Lay of the Last Tinker. The tracks included The Mandolin Man and His Secret and The Garden of Jane Delaunay, which I'm fairly sure was either an album, not had a track, but certainly an album titled by Trees. It was. Sample review, Amy Mann meets June Tabor in a psychedelic Donovan dreamscape. Okay, and the last one, Billy Bob Thornton. Did he make a country music album called Private Radio in 2001? Tracks like Smoking in Bed and Walk of Shame. 
which might or might not have been described as a cross between a southern version of Tom Waits and a bird's addicted Greg Allman. There you go. Spot the ringer. Well, is it too easy? <laughs> first of all, I'd like to say how relieved I am that I've got through without listening to any of them. <laughs> they all sound chilling. Uh, but I'm going to propose that the ringer yeah. is the Tilda Swinton record. Because that just sounds a little bit too pat to me. Sound like it's made up by me. Uh, you sound like <laughs> made up by you. As I was reading it, I was thinking Amy Mann means June Taylor and a psychedelic dollar. So that's the kind it, of drivel I would have written in 1982. Yeah, that's the point. I don't think people were being compared to Amy Mann in 1982. Oh no, my God, she probably didn't exist, did she? Yeah, well, she oh, no, no. I don't think she was known until no, no. Tuesday, which is kind of mid 80s, isn't it? That was mid 80s, you're absolutely right. right. So I was right, was I? You were absolutely spot on. In fact, The Lay of the Last Tinker was actually a Donovan track, of course. Yeah. The gift from a flower to a garden. So, yeah, well done. You yes. win. Super you always, work. You always give yourself away, Mark Ellen, because when you have to think of things as if they've just occurred to you, you reach into the same little mental cupboard every time, don't you? you I do, actually. You pull out the same plums again and again. <laughs> See, I was hoping I'd throw you by saying, uh, wasn't that the name of a Trees album? Uh, <laughs> As if it was... Trees had a record called On the Shore. Do you remember that, On the Shore? They did. Well, they had, remember they had... the cover? Mm. cover was of a girl in a, a kind of Alice in Wonderland garden. She's throwing a glass of water around. It was a hypnosis cover. Do you know the interesting pop fact about the girl on the cover? I do. She's the daughter of Tony Meehan of The Shadow. Very good. <laughs> I think I told you that. I mean, yo, no, don't. <laughs> oh, this is a game of Chinese whispers. Come back to you. I was just thinking, that's a brilliant fact. They would know that. Very good you fact. That. Was, um, it, was it a hypnosis cover? I think yeah, it, it was. Might, hypnosis. might well have been. That's a proper, that's a proper uh, pub quiz classic. Very okay. good. Okay, well, you win on every on every count. So if any, anybody's got any ideas for stack already games, you know, we're we're up for being challenged, aren't we? You know, if anybody would like to put one to us, we're, you know, we're always in the market. We're always looking for those things. Um, so I else? want to put it to you. Go on. Read Taylor Swift. No, right. So Taylor Swift has just embarked on a, on a massive tour of America, the Eras Tour. And Taylor Swift is playing, is playing three-hour sets. Which is pretty fantastic. Three hour sets. Uh, she has 44 songs in the wheelhouse. And uh, it's interesting because The Cure were playing Wembley Arena, I think it was last December, and they, they played a total of 88 songs over three nights. Average set, two and three quarter hours. And my feeling is do you want three hours of anything? Do you know what I mean? Is, is that just simply too much? Have I just completely changed my view of this? Because my feeling is if you go and see somebody, there's two parts. One is the experience of actually seeing them and being there, and it's the sensory bombardment and it's the spectacle and just I'm there with the crowd. And that's what I'm going to remember. And the other is did they play particular songs that you wanted them to play? Well, if, if Taylor Swift played for two hours from her 10 albums, chances are very high that you'd hear something that you really liked. It's like Bruce Springsteen. I remember seeing Bruce Springsteen at Glastonbury in 2009, actually feeling very sorry for, for Kasabian, who were the group uh, before him, because people arrived and occupied the whole front of the stage throughout the whole of Kasabian's set in order 
to be there for Bruce Springsteen. Just Didn't looking at their watches. At all. <laughs> Just we're looking at their watches, making telephone calls. The whole building is so demoralising. But anyway, when he played, he played for two hours, 40 minutes. It's fantastic. I mean, it was absolutely fantastic. But I, I kind of, I, I felt, I, what what can I remember of that, apart from the spectacle? I can't really remember particular songs. If he'd played an hour less, would it have been any any different? Would it possibly have been better? I don't know. Now, I think he suffers from a, it, it's a compulsive nature, isn't it? That he, yeah. has, he has to kind of entertain people into the ground. I think that was that was how he <laughs> how he built up his 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 whole yeah. thing. Yeah. In the, in the 70s and the 80s. And I'm so I saw him do some long shows, generally with an intermission in the middle, you know, 20 minutes or yeah, so. Yeah. You know, so there might be, I don't know, there might be getting on for two hours in the first half and then you know, probably getting on for two hours with encores in the second half. But you and can't it, make those it, comparisons. It's, it's, it's very difficult if you're standing up. You know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's a limit to how long you can stand up. But I suppose it's just an inevitable consequence of people charging more and more for shows, isn't it? Yeah, it's a value for money, isn't it? That's one of the few ways that you can appear to to give value for money, uh, you know, so that people stagger out being, just feeling sort of they've been whipped by, by the yeah, sheer yeah, yeah, amount yeah. of it. Yeah, Never mind the quality, feel the width. Uh, you know, as the old, uh, as yeah. the old comedy series you, used to go. I, I know what you mean, generally speaking, about, I mean, generally speaking, well, it's like we've discovered doing word in your ear, haven't we? You know, uh, we do live events. And uh, what we always found, we, we had the starting time at the, at the old Islington used to be 7.30. And people were so prompt, that they're usually well in their seats by five past seven. Oh, yeah. we, were, we were sitting there looking at them thinking, well, nobody else is going to come in now. We're all here. Let's get started. Let's just start early. And so we we would say we almost got a, a round of applause every time I said, "We promise you'll be at home and looking at the inside of your lids by nine thirty. <laughs> and people, wherever you live, tears of gratitude <laughs> I know. running down the face because we've all had that thing, particularly, and I think this particularly applies with gigs in London because of the difficulty of commuting and so forth, and that. You know, generally speaking, most people going to gigs in London have been to work all day in London. Yeah. Therefore, they may have left their home at 6.37 in the morning. And there they are at, you know, Wembley or Hammersmith or whatever, at quarter to 10, still waiting for some idle, feckless band yeah. who didn't tumble out of bed and walk in the, the afternoon. At the break of noon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Waiting for them to, to feel that the moment has come for them to come on stage, you know. And the audience, by the time the audience is there, they're absolutely exhausted. I think there's a point about exhausting people. Well, who was it said this recently? It was, oh, God, what's her name? Um, it was Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis was talking about, she talked about this at the Oscars or something, something. she said, um, I want to see Coldplay, but I want to see Coldplay at tea time. I want yeah. to see Coldplay at four. Yeah. And I want to be home by eight o'clock. And I'm saying that's a perfectly legitimate aspiration to want that. Why shouldn't you have that at all, you know? Why do you have to be exhausted? Because the bands are not exhausted. No, no, absolutely. They're on a completely different clock. Yeah, they didn't get out of bed until the middle of the afternoon. They're well rested. No, they're going to stay up till nine they, in the morning. They've had a massage before they started. 
they have a. Ma- I know Bruce Springsteen does this half time for a start. He has a massage. Yeah, James Taylor has a mass massage at half time. It's one of the things you can do. Poor sods out in the audience. I know, no. They're just hopping from one leg to the other, thinking, oh, I want to go for a pee. Where's my car? But it's like people make these there. kind of comparisons to Grateful Dead, five-hour sets. All it's, it's a completely different thing. Grateful Dead, five-hour sets, low-pressure experience. Yes. You know, you pay nothing true. to get in. You can wander in and out. You're probably sitting down anyway. You're probably asleep for most of it, you know. And they're also their spontaneous one-off improvisations which are worth hearing it's not the same songs that were played last night will be played tomorrow night you know but i couldn't help the feeling that my levels of concentration also have been affected by by everything really it's like football you know when it goes into extra time now my heart sinks actually i don't know why i just got quite like 90 minutes (laughs) well films i mean every time you and i went to see that elvis film the the baz lerman film i remember checking the little um Press release thing we got about it. it was a preview, wasn't it? So it was two hours, 30 minutes long. We looked at each other and thought, oh my God. But actually, it was fantastic. It was really it well. It was fantastic. It, it was, was really it was really good. Well, I didn't realize what the what the proposed duration was, which made a lot of difference, really. Yeah. Oh, you didn't know it was going to end. I didn't yeah. know, you know, at all. Um, but uh, you know, generally speaking, I like things to be over quicker nowadays. Yeah, yeah. And given life, they are. The Word Podcast. Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. I'd like to say a few words in praise of Willie Nelson, who's with us. Don't worry, Willie Nelson has not shuffled off this MC and gone to join the choir in Visibule, as the old Monty Python sketch goes. But Monty... uh, But not Monty Python. Willie Nelson has got a new album out. And I was just listening to it. It's called I Don't Know a Thing About Love. And it's it's all songs by Harlan Howard, legendary Nashville pop songwriter. So you, you may not be aware of Harlan Howard. There may be a name you've heard. But among the songs you've got... What did he write? Streets, Streets of Baltimore. She took Oh, OK. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He wrote Busted, which was a big of a Ray Charles back yeah. in the day. All kinds of things. And so I just listened to it, and I was just playing it in the background as I was working. I was thinking, this is really nice. This is very pleasant. And I was thinking about Willie Nelson and realising that I, I first consciously engaged with Willie Nelson. I mean, it's one of those names you kind of grow up knowing, isn't it, Willie Nelson? Yeah. But it's only consciously did I engage with him on a record called Red-Headed Stranger. Have you ever come across that? It's kind of, it's a cowboy concept album, really, about, yeah. a, about a barroom shooting and so forth. And it came out, I discover in my research, in 1974. Now, Mark, that is nearly 50 years well, it's 49 ago. 49 years ago, that is nearly 50 years ago. And at that point, I felt I was engaging with a venerable ancient of country music who was, if there was a Mount Rushmore, his craggy profile would be on that Mount Rushmore. He and Willie Nelson had been there forever. You know, he wasn't born. They just discovered him one day. You know, they kind of, they dug hewn. him up. It was, you know, it, it was, was 
Didn't somebody say at his 70th birthday party in the speech, you don't look 70, but I can remember a time when you did. <laughs> so he's, he's always looked 20 years older than he actually is. So he was he was never young in my in my uh, experience. No, never. So, you know, that was when I first consciously engaged with him, almost 50 years ago. And then I re-engaged with him uh, when a record called Across the Borderline came out. I don't know if you remember this record. It came out, it was Columbia, I think. And it was produced by Don Was. Yeah. And that was the, the, the period when Don Was was the kind of producer, oh, producer <laughs> du jour. And so he was immediately te- teamed with any kind of old, craggy old figure looking for a, a lick of paint. And he did On Across the Borderline, which is a fantastic record. He does the Raikuda song Across the Borderline. He does a John Hyatt song. He does, and he does Paul Simon's Graceland, which, side note, I once read somebody arguing that that is the greatest version of Graceland because Graceland is actually about death and Willie Nelson lost a son. And so right. go and listen to yes. go and listen to that with that knowledge. Anyway, that was 1993. Yeah. So, so that is that is what well, that's thirty years ago this year, isn't it? So yeah. thirty years. I was looking across the borderline and thinking, you know, Willie Nelson. How much longer can he keep going? You know, venerable figure in the mid seventies, venerable figure in the mid nineties. You know, thirty years later, here he is There's again. A new album. And you know, he's putting out two albums a year, and uh, and one is this record of. Uh, of songs of Holland Howard, which is really good. I do recommend people to listen to it. And the other is a record of duets with Kimmy Rhodes, and um, which sounds, you know, equally good. Here's my question I want to put to you, Mark Allen. Willie Nelson is almost 90, okay? As far as I can tell, he doesn't seem to have lost anything in his voice. No, not all. remotely. Not remotely. How the hell's that possible? Well, is that is that because you know I've only ever seen him once at the Hammersmith Odeon. I can remember the the tour bus parked outside and a mate of mine going into interview with a strong smell of marijuana. <laughs> they would be. But I think that uh, his very relaxed approach to life and very relaxed approach to singing. He never, you know, you look at Paul McCartney. You think, oh, Paul McCartney, Roger Daltrey, these guys are kind of losing their top range. Well, I'm not surprised they're losing their top range because they have to sing Long yeah. Paul yeah. Sally, Long Tall yeah. Sally, or they have to yeah, sing yeah. I'm Down or whatever, you know. And he tends to sing things in a kind of in the in perfectly within his register. He never seems to strain himself. He a lot of what he does is is, is balladry, really, isn't it? And so uh, I guess that might be something to do with it. I don't know. But well, except except that I, I I I accept what you're saying completely. But Bob Dylan mainly sings within his range, but that range is narrowing all the time, isn't it? Audibly so. Whereas Willie Nelson's is not at all. It did, did Willie Nelson tour at the rate that Dylan did? Did, did he play 150 shows Willie, a year? Yeah, but... I think he probably did. I think Willie Nelson lives in the back of a tour bus. Yeah. I think, I think he has done for years. But, you know, he doesn't push it. I agree. I would agree with you. But, it, you know, do go and listen to it because I think it's remarkable for a man pretty much on the eve of his 90th birthday to be singing in a way that makes him sound like he did when he was when he was a mere 45 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. And he's got the added advantage. The added advantage, too, that live, you're not seeing a reduced version of a kind of stage show. Because he's always been like that, hasn't he? He's always just been a bloke with a gut-string guitar. You know, um, you know, occasionally sitting on a stool. So it's not like you're losing ele- any element of the spectacle or whatever. But the thing, that struck, thing that struck me when I was listening to these two records today, because they're mainly songs that you know because they're songs done by other people. And, um, and so everyone starts, you think, oh, God, yeah, I know this. And I'm thinking, I know we were talking about the other week who was the greatest singer, and I, I proposed that Ray Charles was the greatest singer because Ray Charles could sing anything. Uh, Ray Charles, obviously, sadly not with us. Willie Nelson could sing anything. <laughs> you know, you put yeah. anything in front of Willie Nelson. Hoagie Carmichael ballad, yeah. edgy country tune written last year or whatever. Yeah. He could probably do Smells Like Teen Spirit. He'd somehow get away with yeah, it. Yeah, he would. I, I don't know. It's just, it's sheer vocal personality. And it's extraordinary. So Stetson's off to Willie Nelson. <laughs> This is a junction in the word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. You know, there are times on this podcast, listeners, you may be amazed to hear this. There are times when we worry about that we might be running out of things to say. You know, sometimes we do preparation and we think, God, there's not much going on in popular music. Well, it depends on what's week. happening that week, doesn't it? It does. And very little has happened this week, but <laughs> yes. we have Jul- nice email. Julian Shea uh, sent me a tweet uh, suggesting that we might benefit from watching the, the film about Orion, which is on the BBC iPlayer. And so we did, didn't we, Mark? Oh, I, I, thought, I saw it this morning. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And I'd heard of Orion. And you, when you start watching this, you think it's a, it's a fiction, actually. But no, it's entirely true. In a nutshell, the story is a guy called Jimmy Ellis, right, was born yeah. in 1945, sings in this extraordinary and really affecting and really accurate pastiche of Elvis Presley. Very They're much. virtually indis- indistinguishable. Yeah. And uh, he very nearly gets a contract with Capricorn Records, et cetera. And he's told, you can never make it because you sound like Elvis. 
And his counter-argument is Elvis sounded like Elvis and he made it, which is a ridiculous <laughs> argument. It is a it's an absolute absurd argument. It's like as daft as the argument. He said, he said that somebody says, how could he have failed if Elvis had ever lived? Had never, sorry, had never lived. Yeah, which is absolutely absurd because it's kind of like as if there are aspects of Elvis's success that are involved that aren't more than just his voice. Of course there are, you know. But anyway... He gets in touch with a guy called Shelby Singleton, who's acquired all the rights to Sun Recordings, Sun Records recordings. Who and is, who is? sorry, can I just interrupt here? Who is broader than Broadway? Oh, really, he's a white boy. Yeah, he's white. Singleton. He's got whiff. He's everything. He's all an your, operator. All your worst nightmares about a record company's Bengali or piled all into yeah, one yeah. character, Shelby Singleton. Shelby Absolutely Singleton. extraordinary. And he, uh, you will not be disappointed when you find out what the things he did. But anyway, at, when Elvis Presley died in 1977, he has this brilliant idea, because he's been introduced to him, to get Jimmy Ellis to come in and to find some of the old master tapes and get him to re-record what appear to be alternate takes of the early singles and put them out as just question mark. Isn't that right? And also, no, I think he mainly, mainly Jerry Lee Lewis. he does it with other Sun artists. Yeah, because Jerry the Lewis Elvis and... Presley rights had gone to RCA when, yeah. when Sam Phillips had sold the contract. And so, but he had all these tapes of Jerry Lee Lewis and of Carl Perkins. Roy Orbison and Carl Perkins. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and so he, he just brazenly overdubbed these with with what sounded like the dulcet tones of Elvis Presley. And put them out as a kind of mystery. Who can this be? I know. And then there's another dimension to this, which is there's a a writer called Gail Brewer Giorgio who published a novel called Orion. And Orion was about a a popular singer based on Elvis Presley who fakes his death. And she (laughs) sees him, sees Jimmy Ellis in concert, and cooks up the idea that he could market himself as Elvis Presley having come back from the dead. And the only way, of course, Singleton loves this, but he says the only way it'll work is if you wear a mask. Because if you don't wear a mask, people obviously know it's Elvis Presley. If you wear a mask and concoct the story that actually you'd had a lot of facial surgery to disguise the fact that you never died and you were carrying on. It was all ridiculously complicated. They invented this entire fiction, didn't they? He said he came from from a place called Ribbonsville in Tennessee. They lived in a house called Dixieland. You remember all this stuff? I do. Whole fiction. Anyway, he starts touring in the mask, singing these Presley-esque numbers and Presley songs. And it's a massive, massive success. Everybody just goes along with it because they're so desperate to believe that Elvis is still among them. That's broadly it, isn't it? And then it gets to the point where um, he, (laughs) Shelby Singleton, is stitching him up, basically, isn't he? I mean, he's selling his records directly to the fans, not through record shops. He's not really getting any royalties for this. He's only getting some money for the concert. Get away. He's not getting any royalties. You amaze me. Yeah. Oh, no, it's not, so, so, so he also is contracted to wear the mask at all times. So even off stage, whenever he's seen in public, he has to wear the mask or else the concept doesn't work. So he's caught in this, hey, he's caught in a trap. You know, he, either, he, he couldn't make it without the mask because obviously he, could, he would be always uh, back from the dead. But if he wears the mask, he gets no credibility as a singer. And then worse than that, his hometown... Rejects him, don't they? They all, they all, they just, they just disown him for being a complete fraud. 
And he realizes that if he takes off his mask, his livelihood could be ruined. But he does it, doesn't he? One night on stage in front of thousands of people, he moves the mask. This actually happened. His, his, man, his manager is sobbing in the front row. Yeah. Oh, God, don't do That's that. That's it. So the balloon has been burst. The balloon has been punctured. And, and it, uh, it's got a very tragic ending, this uh, this. No, story. but there's one more dimension which we have Go to on. mention, which is so amazing, that on his birth certificate, he was adopted, wasn't he, and been in yeah, yeah. times. He was adopted when he was five. On his birth certificate, they revealed his mother is a woman called Gladys, somebody or other, and his father was somebody called Vernon. No surname. I don't think it was Gladys, but I think it was Vernon, definitely. Right. And so they they then figure that his facial similarity to Vernon Presley, Elvis's father, is so acute that there's a strong possibility it could be Elvis's half-brother. I'm amazed they didn't try and market him as Elvis's lost half-brother. But it's absolutely astonishing. It's extraordinary. To watch it, you know, to see all the people being interviewed who are mainly from the southern states, is to be reminded of two things. I found two things really striking about it. One is I've never seen such bad hair in my life from so many people. You know, people with ludicrous, ludicrous hairstyles, but also the hair which had been clearly kind of shampooed and conditioned and lacquered within an inch of its life. Well, he actually had no life left to it, you know. You think, who's going to appear next and how bad will their hair be? And sure enough, they are bad. You're not disappointed. And the other thing is, you know, it leaves you utterly unsurprised at the election of Donald Trump. Really, not, not surprised at all. Because the credulity of people. Absolutely. Is- it's just they're just prepared mistake. to believe anything that they want absolutely. to believe. What they want to believe—that's the point. Um, you and know. also, some idea of the, the appetite. Somebody says that, that in order to succeed, you know, you have to you have to need success more than you need air. And this was very true of this guy, wasn't it? He? he was just—he could see. Was, at one point, the Shelby Singleton says to me, "You got an option here. You got two options. One is you wear the mask, and you'll have a successful career." And the other is you don't wear the mask and you'll go back to Alabama and be unemployed. You know, he said, do it my way or the highway. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, and you know, he just was so utterly desperate to make all these compromises to have success. There's something terribly sad about it, actually. It's also it's terribly a- revealing about the psychology of what it's like to be that successful. The moment where he realises that they're all clapping, but they're not, they're not applauding him. They're actually applauding Elvis Presley. Yeah, and it suddenly strikes him after all this time. He's heartbroken, isn't he? And the ending, the ending is sad. It's a valuable reminder, if we need any further reminding, that, you know, success in entertainment is not fair. It it never has been. It never will be, you know. And yet that's what tortures people. The idea, all the people trying to make it, they all feel that if they got a fair shake, they would get to the top. No, they wouldn't. Because simply the numbers are against them, you know. It, it, that's that's the tragic truth. And also an element that no matter how high up the ladder they get, there's always that kind of creeping suspicion that they could have done better. I, I, I wonder how many how many musicians are, are absolutely satisfied with what they achieve. I mean, it must be, I don't know. I thought you were going to quote the old Alan Bennett thing from Beyond the Fringe years ago. It says, life is like a tin of sardines. There's always a bit in the corner you can never quite get out. <laughs> the Word Podcast. Two cocoa tins and a piece of string.
Mark, I want to ask you a question. Is there any amount of money in the world that would be sufficient to persuade you, Mark Allen, to be the Director General of the BBC? Just for like two or three years. How much money would it take to get you to go and do that job? You're quite handy. Can you, add, West can you add any more, any more poison to this challenge? <laughs> Oh my God! What a terrible, what a thankless, an impossible it's job. Just, what do you think? It's impossible. I was thinking about this morning because the the, the day we're, we're recording this on the day that the the, the news came out that that, that uh, Top Gear that they've stopped filming it. Oh yeah, stopped filming this yeah. series yeah. because um, you know Freddie Flintoff had a terrible accident and yeah. uh, you know it appears to be perfectly all right. They didn't uh, they had a, an investigation and apparently the BBC everything was fine, health and safety checked it, but they still have to announce that they're not filming anymore because they they have to overreact because to underreact it, it will be leave them open to criticism, won't they? It's like the it's like the Linnicus situation. Well, yeah, I tell you what, was, to, what is the most staggering case is the BBC singers. This is just staggering. How this this has been headline news for like two weeks. And and today they've announced that no, they're not going to close down the BBC singers. Now, it could be that in the previous five years, loads and loads of people have been constantly telling me how much they prize and value the BBC singers, and I just haven't noticed it. But I I, I suggest that's not the case. That's you know, the BBC is just a massive organization with with you know tentacles that reach absolutely everywhere local radio television online performance the prom sport absolutely everywhere and so there's always a scandal going to burst out somewhere you know yeah. and there will always be you know pressure groups will form you know around absolutely everything so the bbc singers you know they're almost as torchlight processions in the street yeah. and i think it Nobody mentioned the BBC singers no. to me six months ago at all, you know. and But everything becomes a cause celebre. Everything that comes, becomes about how the BBC is going to wreck and ruin and all this. And you think, this is just ridiculous. Because you and I, we never worked directly, directly for the BBC. We've never been on the payroll of the BBC. But we've known loads of people who work for the BBC. And what they all have in common, absolutely every single one, without exception, is if you get them in the pub, they will tell you where the BBC could cut what it spends. They will always tell you that quite easily, and they will always point at something that they're not involved in themselves, yes? Yeah. And they will never say any of that in public, ever, yes? And that's what that's what makes the, the job of the Director General utterly impossible because some things have to be cut they yep. have to be at some stage all organizations have to cut something somewhere well there's got to be some there's got to be some decision as to where it's going to be and it won't be it won't be pleasant you know but you don't expect everybody to cheer to the sky will not be black with hats because you're closing down this that or and the other but they will just the situation we're in nowadays is whatever the proposal is, there is a rebellion, and then they back down because yeah. they just back down. They back down on everything. It's an impossible job. There is not enough money in the world to persuade 
I can't can't see why anybody would want to do it. Did I tell you about one? Perfectly I'm... expressed by that private eye cover. Did you see that? No, go on. Oh, it's brilliant. Lineker, Lineker says, I missed a penalty. Shearer says, uh, that was a spectacular own goal. And Wrighty says, they think it's rollover. It is now. Mm. <laughs> and it's, I know, I know. I, did I tell you about when I met the director general, the the, the short-lived George Entwistle? Who oh, right. Do you remember this? Yeah. So I can't remember what scandal had before. Well, it's not a scandal. It's never a scandal. It's just it's something that turns into a huge issue that nobody can deal with. And uh, and so George Entwistle was moved into, into the position. And he'd been there a few weeks. And at that point, I was doing... I was recording a um, programme at Radio 2 with Johnny Walker. We used to do this thing, Walker's Long Players. We used to record it in the middle of the afternoon. And Mark Simpson, who was the producer, said, Director General might pop in today. He's doing a kind of royal progress around the building. And don't, So be on your best behaviour. Don't let me down. I love it. I love it when the, when the, the, the senior bods are, are on walkabout. Do you remember that at, at, at our publishing company? Yeah, well, yeah. I, yeah, no, oh, my goodness. But... Um, and so anyway, the chairman's on his way to smash heads. George quick. George Entwistle popped into the studio, and Johnny and I stood there and just uh, kind of made small talk. And he was perfectly pleasant, and uh, and you know, and then then he left. He was gone like two days later yeah. over something. I don't even remember what it was. You know, it was just one of those things that blew up, and and so there has to be a human sacrifice, and that's generally the director general. You know. And uh, and that was him. And the right wing media are gunning for them constantly. Aren't well, they? I don't oh think it's, it's it's not just the right wing, left wing, all wing. You know, it's the BBC. It's the everybody's allowed to have a view on it. People don't go around having a view on ITV. You know, they they just don't bother about that kind of thing. The BBC. Well, they don't say, have to pay for it, do they? So they, well, they, they feel they've got a right to complain if it's the BBC because they've got to buy a license. You know, but you know, just um, you know. I might complain about the BBC, but I understand that the BBC management have to take unpalatable decisions. I understand that because I'm a grown-up. Absolutely. The Word Podcast. Fix yourself a drink and it's like being in the pub. So, any other business? We're joined by Alex Gold. Hello, Alex. Hello, hello. How are you both? We're We're in good shape. We're fine. Excellent. Uh, what have we got to look forward to? We've got to look forward to June the 3rd, which is what, I, what I'm calling our third annual Word in Your Park extravaganza in Holland Park on Saturday afternoon. For those of you who haven't been before, and if not, why not? It really is an exceptional day, afternoon out, isn't it, Alex? Completely surprised. It is. Takes and place we've at- just announced our... First turns, haven't we? Our we have announced our first our first turns. Where uh, the afternoon is, uh, you know, starting with the, with the title "The Beatles and the Stones," because it, it's it's fifty years since the. Uh, sorry, I'm going to say that again. Sixty years, sixty years since the kind of high summer of Beatlemania. So sixty years ago, from June the third, the Beatles were on tour with uh, with Roy Orbison. They played Woolwich that night. I've just looked it up today. And in the same week, 60 years ago... Stones' Rolling first album. Rolling, no, first single. Rolling Stones' single. first single, which is, of course, Chuck Berry's Come On. And so to, to mark those two anniversaries, we've got uh, John Higgs coming along. And John Higgs has written a, 
a much acclaimed book called The Beatles, James Bond and the British Psyche, which is absolutely fascinating. And we've also got Leslie Ann Jones, who's written Stone Age about, uh, about the entire career of the Rolling Stones. So we've got those two as our opening turns. And we have more to announce, which we will announce very shortly, actually. Very so there are other huge, huge acts, uh, huge and very, very interesting acts to be discussed. It'll so be uh, if you haven't been before, here's how it works. Holland Park, which is in West London, which is kind of not far from Holland Park Tube Station, you won't be surprised to hear, uh, and also Kensington High Street. Um they, it's a very civilised park. It's not huge. Uh, and, and every year uh, during the summer, Opera Holland Park erect a, a, a covered auditorium out the front of the, the old house on which they stage their productions. And uh, we're able to get there in there on a Saturday afternoon. It and really so, is gorgeous, isn't it's it? It's a beautiful... Because it's, it's you're outside yeah. and you're protected from the weather, but, you know, a big open-sided tent. And lovely old chairs and cushions. It's completely different from your average gig, isn't it? Absolutely. So it's been designed with social distancing in mind. It has a licensed bars, so you can help yourself to a, a cool, refreshing, who, who knows, even alcoholic drink. Um, during booksellers? The, uh, we have booksellers there. So basically the way it starts, it starts at 2 o'clock. Uh, and the first half will go to about a quarter to three and then we'll have 15, 20 minute break uh, and you can replenish, replenish your drinks, socialise with people, um, get your books bought and signed and so forth and then the second, the second half ensues and then we finish no later than four o'clock, you'll be delighted here. So you can go out the rest, the rest of, the of the day is yours. Is entirely yours, which also means anybody from outside of London who previously might have thought it was a bit far to come, is you know you can you can get a train home or get home in whatever way in a, in a completely at a civilized time of the day. So uh, you know if you if you haven't got your tickets already, make sure you get them. Uh, we've got links below this, and uh, there'll be further news going out in the next week or so. Alex, you're about to say. No, I was just about to say, yeah, the link in the show notes, so make sure you get your tickets from there. Right. What else have we done in the last week? Anything we should tell people about? Well, the uh, Peter Fincham uh, thing will go up very soon. When Peter Fincham, who was the um, producer of, uh, <clears throat> you know, Talk Back, when they put out uh, Day to Day and, uh, you know, uh, Buzzcocks and... Uh, and um, uh, all the various and Alan Partridge, he was fantastically good. Paul Jones will be out soon, won't it? Uh, Magic, I think. Yes. Paul Jones, yep. plugging the Manfred, Manfred's tour was terrific. Um, I don't know who else we've done actually. That's probably and I had further delights to follow. Probably the one to, we're recording a whole load next week. Yeah, the Mick Houghton thing about Andrew Lord, I think that's probably yeah. out actually. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, all good. So it's all good, and uh, you know, if, if it makes you feel that you really ought to be a Patreon supporter. Now's the time to do that, isn't it? So if you go to patreon.com slash word in your ear, you can find out about all the various different ways in which you could get involved. Is that all, Alex? This podcast was brought to you by The Word.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Listen to this Acast show ad-free on Amazon Music with your Prime membership or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.